Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you live from high above the stratosphere, courtesy of the World Wide Interweb, I'm your host, Nate Larkin, here with our fearless, peerless engineer, Mondo Grimes. Sir. Yeah, yeah, and and the climber himself, Newton Dominey. Hey, Newton. Hello, friends. And <laughs> it was so my pleasant. So pleasant. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, we don't know what fate has befallen uh, the Commodore. Uh, Aaron Porter is not here, but we do expect him to show up shortly. In the meantime, uh, how is it going over there, Mondo? Uh, Things are good, man. Uh, It's been a good week. Uh, Moving kind of fast this week. Yeah. Uh, But but things are good, man. I'm in the the last few uh, weeks uh, or days of of packing because you know we're moving soon. Mm-hmm. So uh, so it's been the hustle of boxes and tape and sharpies and pots and pans and shoes and things <laughs> flying everywhere. <laughs> so, uh, but I, but I realized that um, packing for a move actually triggers my anger button. Oh, I, buddy, I do not like moving. Oh my yeah. goodness. Oh, I mean, can you guys feel me on that a little bit? Yes, <laughs> a lot. Yes. Um, oh, okay. Allie and I, the first six years of our marriage, lived in six states, oh, and wow. uh, and once we got to Florida, we didn't stop moving. We just kept rotating between towns, and uh, uh, we're real close to moving right now. We're not moving, but our daughter, who's been living with us is anticipating a move, and so uh, the house is full of packed boxes, and that's always interesting when you're still trying to carry on a life and you're not right. sure where, you know, <laughs> you know where the Tupperware or the shoes or that vital something is. What box? Where did it go? Yeah. Right. How about right. you, Newton? Man, I, it's, I'm with Mondo. Not that I'm moving, but it's been a – man, it's been a fast week. Um I mean, I guess part of it is that I went to a new Samson meeting uh, last night. A bunch of new guys kind of start yeah. the group in, uh, in kind of South Nashville, no one's little area. Um, and so I've been to two meetings this week and then work and got a, a youth retreat with church this weekend. So, um, wow. yeah, it, it's 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 a crazy week, um, but it's good. It's good. That's good. That's terrific. Well, yeah. this is um... – uh, here at uh, Casa Larkin, uh, life goes on. Allie is uh, in the very final days here of her prescribed treatment, and uh, it's been tough. It's been it's tough emotionally, tough physically, and uh, since we are embodied spirits, any kind of a physical trauma also has uh, spiritual repercussions. Um, so, Allie. And I have become acquainted, you know, with the Valley of the Shadow of the Death this last few weeks. And, you know, this dark time when it seems like, for most of the time anyway, the heavens are brass. You know, where, God, where did you go? That kind of stuff. Um, We find solace in those psalms that seldom get read in American evangelical churches. Um, And it is comforting to know that we're not the first people to be here, that there actually is a well-worn path through um, the darkness. And there are patches of sunshine even here. So we do see God's hand in uh, where we are. We're grateful uh, in some moments to be where we are. It's been quite a week. Well, we got a guy on the line who uh an old friend's going to be great to talk to him calling in from denver it's uh it's michael cusick joining us how are you michael 
Hey, everybody. I am doing really well. Uh, it is uh, – now, for those uh, listeners who may not – may be new to the program or uh, uh, unfamiliar, maybe forgotten, I doubt if you've forgotten. If you've heard Michael, you remember him. He's the author of that great book, Surfing for God. Um and has been uh, one of the very finest guests we've had on the show. And, uh, you know, since the book came out, uh, your world has gotten pretty busy, hasn't it, Michael? Yeah, it really has. I've gone more and more in the direction of uh, developing some events and experiences and resources, and uh, in particular our weekend intensive. We're doing our third one over the last year, and we've got one coming up uh, in October. Yeah, tell us about tell us about that intensive for guys who uh and is this is this men only? Yeah, it's men only. We're holding it in Colorado at Bear Trap Ranch, which uh mm-hmm. is an old uh, camp property that uh InterVarsity Christian Fellowship owned and operated for a long time and they've actually bequeathed it to uh a foundation in Colorado Springs that uh makes it available to us, but so it's a, this great property in the mountains, and it goes from a Thursday night to a Sunday. And the format is there's about 40 guys and about 20 staff that are uh, all there volunteering. And uh, it's for men that are dealing with not only pornography but different kinds of sexual brokenness. Uh, and even men that don't have a specific sexual compulsion but just need to connect to their heart and find a way back to connecting with God and themselves and others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh the format, how does how does that weekend go? Now you've already done one of these. I heard great reports. Or, or have you done two, Michael? Uh we've done two and this is number 3. And yeah. uh the format, it's a it's a very experiential kind of thing. So if a guy's coming with his King James Bible and his notebook and pen, that's that's uh something that you can bring but you're not going <laughs> to use it because you know it's it's it, it's not it's not grab a chair and someone's get up going to get up and be a talking head for an hour and you take notes and then you try to apply that. It's really right. an experiential time of uh, large group settings and then small group settings of five to six participants and two leaders yeah. and really kind of digging into our brokenness in a, in a very relational, experiential kind of way. And um, there's just a lot of time for interaction and reflection and getting out in the mountains is a, a good way to connect with your heart. Yeah. Um, but it's been so, so powerful. I put this together with the hope that it would be a way to unpack the material in the book, and it has really exceeded my expectations in terms of the feedback I'm getting now, even a year out, of how this has just really redirected guys to a whole new way of living. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, if, uh, if there are still some slots open for that weekend at the beginning there of October. Are. Yeah, there are still slots open, um, and I didn't even tell you this, Nate, but uh, I wanted to celebrate the formation of a Samson group in Littleton, Colorado, that uh, has been meeting. Yeah, they've been meeting in my office at Restoring the Soul, which is the name of my ministry, for about the past three months. And uh, so about half of those guys that have started that group did so in response to the weekend that we do, and they've participated in this. So... Uh, as a one-time only thing for this weekend coming up, this won't apply to future weekends, but for the one October 3rd through 6th, anyone who has been affiliated with Samson Society or a Samson group can attend this weekend for half off, 50% oh! off the, the list go. price. So okay. it's uh, it's 475 bucks from Thursday to Sunday. That includes lodging, food, uh, of course, we give people bread and water right before we shave their heads. But, uh, it's a it's a it's a really affordable thing for the amount of healing that you get and for the amount of uh, contact and redirection. So, yeah, anybody listening, if you've been part of Samson or if you are a friend of Nate's or even a friend of Mondo's, half <laughs> off. Wow, even I, I love that. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's very, very generous of you, and uh, I sure hope that our guys uh, step up and take advantage of this wonderful opportunity. Lord bless you, Michael. Yeah. Hmm? Thank you. And so people can find out about it at surfingforgodbook.com, and on the homepage there is all the information and the registration. Yeah. 
surfingforgodbook.com. All right. Wonderful. Thanks, brother. Thank you, brothers. Bye-bye. Good talk to you. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Good talk with you. All right. And we will be back. I just heard from our, our uh from Aaron. Looks like he will not be joining us today. So what we're gonna do is gonna get straight to our guest here in a moment. But in the meantime, let's uh can you pull up a nice piece of music for us there, Armando? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Terrific. Okay, and we are back. As you may have heard there during the course of uh, Mo's song, we were trying without success to reach our uh, guest today. But efforts continue, and in the meantime, uh, I think it's a good time to have a mini-meeting. Uh, Newton, yeah. are you around? Yeah, yeah. You up for three I'm, meetings I this week? I am here. What's that? <laughs> You up for three meetings this week? Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. Okay, well, I am going to uh, uh, call to order then this mini-meeting of the Samson Society. My name's Nate. Uh, Welcome to this meeting of the Samson Society. We're a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who've recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. And natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. 
We do so by sharing, honestly, out of our own personal experience, the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. Uh, We've now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest confidence. Yeah, we try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward any one person. As a rule, we refuse, uh, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. The suggested topic today is da, drum roll, uh, fatigue. Fatigue. There we go. Uh, but we're not con- yeah, we're not confined to that subject. Uh, you may speak about anything that is currently commanding your attention. The floor is now open. I will jump in. I'm okay. Newton. Okay. Hey, Newton. Hey, Newton. Uh, fatigue. Um, fatigue is a good one for me. I actually had my uh, my first real. I guess what I would call Sabbath day or rest day in maybe maybe two and a half months um, Saturday. And it, it was wonderful. Um, I watched college football. I slept on the couch, um, ate nachos, and had just uh, had a good day just doing nothing. Um, but it, it makes me realize um, – how hard, sort of how hard I push myself on a day-to-day basis and and how little rest um, I actually give myself. I, I actually feel guilty about rest. Um, it's, it's definitely one of the things uh, that I'm realizing that I need to work, work hardest on. Um, but the other thing that I think of when I, when I think of fatigue is, and I think it's... Um, front of mind for me is I remember when I and it's front of mind I guess I should say because I went to a meeting with a bunch of new guys last night um, I remember when I first got into recovery having this mindset that I was going to I was going to do it in 90 days come hell or high water I was going to get fixed ASAP um, and I really burned myself out I had recovery fatigue Um and it was something that it's something that over the the last few years that I've been kind of walking this path that I've I've realized I have to pay attention to um, really kind of overdoing it. There's a reason I think that the twelve steppers um, have that you know that bumper sticker that says easy does it, and it's because you can't you can't rush it, you can't get fixed overnight. You will find yourself fatigued, and, or at least you may be able to. I can't. Um, and, and so I have to remind myself that, um, hey, God made a Sabbath for a reason, and I need to, to respect that and take time to rest. But B, um, I need to have that same mindset in my recovery. I need to take it easy or, or kind of have that easy does it mentality because if I burn myself out, I'll wind up in the exact same position that I, that I was when I started down the path, which is, tired and frustrated and, you know, probably alone, uh, which, which is never a good thing. Uh, but that's, that's what I think of when I think of fatigue. I'm Newton. Thanks, Newton. Thanks, Newton. Well, uh, I'm Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Um, I, I will say with fatigue, man, uh, that's a big one for me because I, I, I'm scared of fatigue because, uh, when I get to the point where I'm fatigued, I tend to make stupid decisions. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm not the brightest individual <laughs> when I'm fatigued. Uh, I tend I tend to develop a screw it mentality. Yeah. Uh, and and as I've recounted over the years, every time I get to a point of fatigue, I, two things happen. One, uh, I usually get sick. I usually get some sort of you know cold or my body shuts down of some sort. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, I just 
don't care yeah. about things as much as I would if I was rested. And so um, my wife has been a gym where she really encourages me to sleep and rest and to turn it off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, because there were some times early on where my fatigue and, you know, I would get to that point of hitting the wall, I would get sick, uh, I just would have the screw it mentality. And it started affecting not just my daily life, but it started affecting the household. Yeah. And uh, she, you know, lovingly yanked me to the side and said, hey, you need to rest, you need to sleep, you need to turn it off. You need to take some days off. You need to unplug. You need to go sit with some guys and go on the get in the car and ride for hours and hang out, you know, or yeah. something. You need, to, you need to figure it out. And so um, I've noticed how much more clearly I think how much how more present I can be with my family and my friends when I'm rested. Um, and I, I've noticed just how much a different person I am. And I really feel like I'm like an incredible Hulk. And when I'm fatigued, I just don't, I just start ripping crap apart, you know, mentally. Um, and I, I'm just not the same dude, you know. There's no more yeah. you know, David Banner, if you will, you know. It's all green monster, you know. Uh, and then don't tie like hunger on top of that because I, I tend to get fatigued and I'm yeah. working and going so hard that I don't eat. But then yeah. you add the hunger on top. It's just it's just a oh, it's just a mess, man. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so fatigue for me, man. I really am trying to understand how to take care of my body better uh, by resting, which allows me to take care of uh, my life, my family better because I'm more present, I'm more aware, mm-hmm. and I'm making better I'm making better decisions. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, fatigue is a, kind of a scary word in my life. <laughs> so, but uh, that's me. I'm on it. Thanks, Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. Yeah, I'm Nate. Um, hey, Nate. I remember, I remember early in recovery learning that very handy acronym, uh, HALT, that tells us that we're in uh, we're in danger of uh, a slip whenever we are uh, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And uh, I do think that tired was a very big one for me for years because uh, acting out consumed a lot of my time and energy, and um, which I would try to make up for late into the into the wee hours of the morning. I was a I was a guy who I was convinced when I got into recovery that I could not fall asleep before one o'clock in the morning. I was just a night owl. That's how it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the morning start time wouldn't change, and I would typically. You know, bolt out of bed at the last possible moment to, to uh, you know, throw some clothes on and fly down the stairs and uh, maybe, maybe possibly grab something to eat on my way out the door, but probably not, and try to pull myself together by the time I got to the office. And so I think I was chronically fatigued for years and years, which didn't help my decision-making process. Um, and I, I have learned that to a very large degree, recovery amounts to radical self-care. Um, and it is crucially important that I take care of this vehicle that God has given me uh, to carry my spirit around in. Uh, and, there, and, and the lines between my spirit and body are blurred. I am an embodied spirit. So um, what affects me physically also affects me spiritually. So when I'm tired physically, that has emotional and spiritual effects. And one of the first things that my first sponsor did was get me on a regular sleep schedule. And um, I found, much to my astonishment, that I actually am capable of going to bed at a decent hour uh, and getting up early enough that I actually have time to get my feet under me spiritually, uh, to put, put a little nourishment in my body, and get the metabolism going, uh, to find a centered place uh, before the world meets me coming in the other direction. Uh, I've, I had the privilege of kind of revisiting the torment of fatigue in the last few weeks as I'm walking with Allie through her cancer treatment because um, one of the side effects of the radiation treatment that she's undergone, it turns out, has been um, you know a depression and uh, a very debilitating sleep disturbance. 
So that even though she is physically exhausted, it's not as though she's not uh, physically tired. She's not been able to uh, – she's found it difficult to to get her brain to slow down enough that she can go over the edge and fall asleep. And uh, and so uh, – and it's amazing what loss of sleep will do for you uh, and to you. It's one of the most effective forms of torture. Uh, it's a tool often used in interrogation and in uh, brainwashing, and um, it, it really, uh, you know, over time you don't get sleep, your personality can begin to uh, be affected. Now, Allie hasn't gone crazy, certainly, uh, and she's is aware of her own fragility, and also we've gotten good counsel from her primary care physician who said, look. You know, Allie doesn't like to take drugs because she doesn't want to run the risk of becoming addicted to anything. But the doctor very uh, lovingly said, right now, you know, well, certainly there is some risk to addiction and some dependency that you'll have to come off later on drugs. The greater risk posed to your health right now is that from loss of sleep. And uh, your body needs rest in order to heal. So here are the pills. Take the pills so that you can sleep and we'll deal with uh uh, you know, getting back from the pills later. And very, very reluctantly, Allie has done that. So the last couple nights, she's actually gotten some sleep, some good sleep, and it's it's been heartening to see her now come back together. It's a reminder to me how crucially important it is. We really are fragile. Uh, how crucially important it is for us to get that night, that, that, that daily... Uh, requirement of sleep or the you know enough sleep each night and then you know as you said newton that something in the weekly rhythm as well that sabbath rest was prescribed for us because uh god who made us our designer knows us far better than we know ourselves and he knows that we are not perpetual motion machines unlike him we need rest and uh so yeah, grateful for it, and that's where I am right now. Uh, I'm kind of on cancer fatigue. I'm tired of this road, uh, ready for another one whenever uh, God sees fit to allow us to reach an intersection. But that's where I am on fatigue. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. All right, boys. Uh, well, we have solved the problem of the guest. It was not her. She wasn't hiding from us. She didn't forget us. We had a wrong number. So, uh, Mom, uh, Mondo, if you can spin another song, we will call her again. I've spoken with her by cell phone. She's ready and waiting. In just a few moments, we're going to talk to Elisa Morgan. Back when Charlie was a boy Somebody handed a secret down With a long list of unwritten rules So he died before he let it out He carried it like a silver dollar In the pocket of his car Cried out for some room to breathe Pride just kept it in the dark And the darkness was like a rainfall to a flower I needed it to grow The roots kept digging deeper Till they wrapped their wretched arms around his soul
song. What a killer song, The Secret. Now, well, we're going to dial somebody who knows a lot about secrets and the power of telling them. Uh, Elisa Morgan. We're calling her right now. This is Elisa. Well, hi, Elisa. It's Nate Larkin with the Pirate Monk podcast. How are you? I am fabulous. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. And I'm here, <laughs> with, I, I'm here with Mondo Grimes and Newton Dominey. And uh, we're just we're just so thrilled that you took the time to talk with us. And I'm excited to uh, tell our listeners about your great new book. Thank uh, you. I'm honored to be here. What a what a fabulous book! Now let me tell the, our uh, audience a, a little bit about you. Um, you've been named by Christianity Today as one of the 50 women top 50 women influencing church and culture. Uh, you're a speaker, a leader, an author on mothering, spiritual formation, and evangelism. Uh, you are now the uh, president emeritus. Is that your title? What is it at MOPS? I'm just done, basically, and I'm old, and so they give me that really cute title. Yeah, so there. <laughs> Mothers of preschoolers, you were, you were that you've served uh, with great right. distinction. CEO of MOPS International. Under your leadership, the group grew, uh, the, the organization grew from 350 groups to 4,000 groups. You're the publisher of uh, Fulfill.org, and you're on various boards. Uh, you're married, you're a mother, you're a grandmother. And um, you come from a couple of broken families. Yeah, uh, I do. Yeah. What a beautiful message. Uh, I There's kind of... There's a drum that I beat fairly regularly around here. It bothers me that, especially in evangelical Christian culture, uh, focus on the family has become, in some places, fixation on the family, and an obsession. Mm. An obsession, first of all, a, a belief that we really don't need community. We just need to find the perfect spouse and then create the perfect family, and that if we can just that that really was within our reach. If we can, if we do it right, we can have the perfect nuclear family, and that is the cure for all of society's ills. Mm. And, it, and um, would you say that there was a time when consciously you kind of believed that? You know, I, I like you said, I, I come from a broken family. My first family fell and broke through divorce and alcoholism when I was like five. And, you know, as I grew up, I felt like in some ways, as a child does, that some of that was my fault. Mm -hmm. And I determined that I was going to make a perfectly intact second family. I, I knew God. I had discovered him separate from my parents. And I thought, well, this is the key. You know, knowing Jesus is, is going to change everything. They didn't, but I do. And when my husband and I met and got married, we just both thought, you know, we're going to have a fantastically perfect second family. And, and I didn't realize there was a mythology around that concept the way there is. Both in our society, you can read headlines everywhere of how to be an A-plus parent and we think, well, then there must be such a thing, and I want to do that. Yeah. And then in church, it's in spades because, you know, if you know Jesus and you're walking obediently, well, then he needs to deliver on his end of the deal, which is to, you know, give you back the goods. And and so, yeah, I think there was a time when I expected – I was never one to – about mantras of formulas. I was always pretty vulnerable and pretty honest and real. And I mm -hmm. knew that my deficits, God had shown me, were actually my offering. And so when yeah. I came into leading mops, I was like, I don't know how to do this. I'm mother inferior, not mother superior, but I want to give it a whirl. <laughs> and, and, and the whole honest platform of, of how I led was through vulnerability. But I still thought that God was going to come through differently yeah. than he yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are so many wonderfully quotable sections in your book, um, and I and I actually should have had them out here where I could read them. I may pull a couple of them up, but um, at one point you talk about uh, you this kind of deep uh, belief, an unexamined for a long time unexamined belief that you kind of carried within yourself at least potential perfection, and that. Um, so you were a redeeming influence in your family of origin that you mm. kind of adulted your way through and tried to yep. do your best to hold the family together. True. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and you, 
maintain a broad correspondence. A lot of people, you're accessible. There are a lot of people who look to you for advice and counsel. And I know that you uh, interact daily, uh, as I do, with, with folks who are at the end of themselves about the brokenness in their own family or within their circle of influence and are trying to do whatever they can to pull things together. Um, uh, can you talk to us a little bit? Uh, you know, our audience, our primary audience uh, is male, but we've got a sizable female audience, too. we got women who know that they're married to knuckleheads. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they want to know what to do to kind of help the knucklehead along. Um, and uh, can you talk to them about kind of the limits of their ability and their influence, their capacity, where uh, yeah. where influence starts and ends? Yeah, and it, this is not a gender specific issue. This is you know we all come from messed up, broken families in some way, shape, or form. I mean, honestly, yeah. when you look back at it, God's family fell and broke, beginning with yeah. Adam and Eve, and it comes forward to today. And even a savior came to us from a pregnant, unwed teenage teenager. I mean, it's stunning when we really look at this, and we're so gaga thinking, oh, I can do this right. Well, really, yeah. you know, how come if God's family's broken, I'm going to do it right? You know. So anyway, um, so beyond. On gender, the thing that I really want to, oh, prayerfully and hopefully offer is that our children are going to make their own choices. We are not responsible for their choices. Yes. We can shape them. We can teach them. We can have Jesus time with them. We can share our hopes and our fears and our faith, and we better. But in the long run, we're not responsible for our children's choices. We're responsible as parents yeah. for our responses to our children's choices. And so in this book, I really share what I call broken family values, Mm. Um, those family values that hold us together as family members when the bottom drops out, and those family values that hold us to God, that that help us understand that, that our faith is a real faith that goes into the broken. I mean, you know, we feel like everything falls off the walls of our lives when something like our teenager becomes pregnant or yeah. our our child becomes an addict or someone has a legal problem or someone's been arrested or, or someone comes out as gay or blah, blah, blah down the list. And yeah, yeah, we yeah. feel like everything falls off the walls. And, and, you know, God doesn't just sweep us up into a dustpan and throw us in the trash mm-hmm. when we fall and break. He, he instead truly, gently bends into our brokenness and pulls us together and reassembles the shards of who we are into something that's actually often more beautiful than it yes. was before. Yes, yes. And this is a this is a a lesson you learned through experience. This doesn't come uh this didn't come to you propositionally. It came through day-to-day life. Oh, Talk to snap. Us. I wish I could have read a book on it. Yeah, I learned it. No, I I had to live it. And, and you know, we're talking about probably 15 years of living. And, and your question is what happened? Is that what you were going to ask yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about the evolution of your second family. How did that yeah. happen? Yeah. Um, my husband and I, just to kind of set the context, are both seminary graduates and in full-time ministry and very involved in our church. And heavens no, we're not perfect, but, you know, we were like doing it right, if you will. Um, we uh, we formed our family through adoption. Both of our children were adopted when they were infant, tiny little infants, and we mm-hmm. poured into them. And during that season, you know, I became the president of MOPS again, going, are you kidding me, God? And, and yet he really encouraged me to allow him to work through me, and he did. Mm-hmm. But when my daughter was, our daughter was a teenager, and she revealed that she was pregnant, I was like, what? I mean, yeah. really, and, and I, I know this sounds a little crass. I mean, honestly, the whole book is we're, so we're raw and, and authentic that I can't apologize for it. It's just what I <laughs> now feel free to be. I think we're so weary by all of the pretense. But at, at times, I really wished that she had cancer because people would come to the door then and bring casseroles and ring the doorbell and pray for us, you know. But yeah, yeah, she yeah, was yeah. pregnant, Ooh. and I, I had to hide her, I felt like. I was yeah. I was just flushed in, in shame. And, and then my son began to struggle with his own issues and began to 
foray into substance abuse. Um, Eva actually had a second child. She relinquished the first one in adoption, and she got pregnant again. I mean, it's like, really? So, you know, under the authority of the Board of Mops, I shared every single crisis with them, and of course with my husband, and of course with our pastor. And everyone continued to say, why would you step out of ministry when you now have more to offer? And that became a lot of my message. So despite my best efforts to do it right, um, my second family fell and broke in certain ways as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I love this this section of your book early on you uh, talking about your your reaction when your kids began to make their own choices and make choices that you would not have advised them to make the prospect of the prospect of pinning annual christmas letters left my husband <laughs> and me howling sure with pain but now also with black humor we received stacks of end of the year summaries from friends and acquaintances Rachel is an honor student at Stanford and headed to the mission field in Ecuador. And John Jr. has signed a six-figure book deal. We'll be speaking nationally, sharing his faith and is bound for the Olympics. Hunter, <laughs> the dog, just caught a hot mouse that has terrorized our home. We are so proud. In response, we composed, Our children are about to uh, graduate, one from probation, the other from, into independent living. Our dog only threw up on the carpet four times this month. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I have heard so many people go, I wish you'd written that letter. I would have just loved it. Because, you know, we all have these issues going on to varying degrees, and we're ashamed to say so. And so we hide them, and we we believe this mythology that there's such a thing as a perfect family, and we are the exception because we're such loser parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, hey, Elisa, I, Elisa if, I, if I could, you mentioned, and I want to come back to it, you mentioned something about broken family values. Um, can you can you dig into that just a, a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think we think typically that family values are things like uh, believing that the Bible is God's word, um, believing that um, God is triune. You know, we we get a little bit mixed up with our statement of faith, if you will. We we push family values into behavior, uh, like I'm not going to drink, dance, smoke, or go with girls who do. You know, that old-fashioned lifestyle thing. But as I really look into scripture and look into life, um, broken family values I, I would define as as those qualities that, as I said, knit us together as a family uh, in the body of Christ and in our nuclear families, those commitments, those values, those characteristics that, that keep us in loving, healthy relationships. And just to give some examples, I mean, I have 12 of them in the book, and I think I start out with commitment. And that means loving your child with a no matter what love. No matter what they do, no matter what their choice is, I'm going to love you. It's a commitment. And then humility, knowing that my children's choices to step into potholes and dive down as far as they can are really no different than my choices to sin as well. And then courage, that there's no off-ramp in parenting, that that I am going to face things I never believed I would face, nor do I believe I have the courage to face, but God will provide that courage. And then reality, that reality is my friend. If I stick my head in the ground like an ostrich and say, <laughs> oh, my child's not really staying out until 3 in the morning, you know, and I really don't smell alcohol, and I, I don't even know what pot smells like. I'm not sure that's what, you know, that I'm not really helping that child. And then relinquishment is that, God cares more about that child than I ever could. And do I trust him with that child? Anyway, these are just some of them, and they're the things that become the glue and the foundation that keep us going in life. Mm. Well, that's great. I I love one of my favorite records is is Rich Mullins' uh, A Liturgy and Legacy in a Ragamuffin Band. Mm -hmm. And it starts off with all these guys. You can kind of hear them sitting in the studio and somebody, I don't know who it is, says, all right, I'm barely ready to do this, but let's do it anyway. Um, 
Hmm. And it just, I, I love that I hear that same idea as you stepped into, uh, I guess, your leadership role to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not ready to do it, but let's go. Yeah. Uh, I love that that sense of that sense of trust and um, and courage. Um, can you can you speak a little bit about kind of living on that edge of I guess your abilities and and your comfort level? Oh, I love that question. I, I think yeah, God calls us. This is a big fancy um, response. God calls us to to live on the edge with Him, but you know, doing it is the every day when. We see our neighbor across the street and we wave and he or she looks just a little bit weird and we know in our gut God's saying, go over there. And we're like, oh, Shazam, no, I don't want to do that. But we walk over and we say, how's it going? And they say something about, oh, being diagnosed with cancer or their kids staying up all night. And we dive and we go in and we say, I've been there. And, you know, do you... Ever think about God being with you? I mean, I just get blown away. That's the everyday edge. And I mean, like, for instance, when I stepped down from leading mops, I was like, what am I going to do now, God? And, you know, everybody was, oh, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. And I'm like, me too, which is awful. And and, and I, I started going to all the neighborhood happy hours because I thought, well, I need to get to know my neighbors better. Mm-hmm. And within, like, I don't know, my second visit, they're asking me to do a Bible study, and I'm going, how did you even know? But they know. They can smell Jesus on you, you know? Yeah. And so I, I go to and start the Bible study, just like they said, and they want to, you know, they're coming from all different denominations and all different faiths. And I realize, oh, my gosh, I've got to start at the beginning. What's the Bible? And I'm like, what is the Bible? I haven't thought about this in 30 years. It, it, yeah. It's a daily, a daily time of just doing the next thing. I mean, for me. That's yeah. what it's been. And believing God's there with you. He's there with you. Mm. Mm. Doing the next right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that you're not leading from a pedestal. And uh, you have found that you can bring hope to folks uh, by revealing your weakness because uh, so many of us feel alone in our failures, don't we? We feel ashamed of the failures. Uh, we don't understand that um, failure is part of the human condition. It's a norm, and it's a precondition to the experience of grace and the influx of God's power. Um, talk to us. You, know, you describe a lot of uh, situations in your book uh, from your own life and from your own family. At one point, you talk about um, your brother coming out as gay something that you uh, struggled with. Can you tell us about that and what your relationship is with your brother now? Absolutely. And and just for all who are really participating in this conversation, even though you may not have a voice on the phone right now, um, you know, the book has a lot of issues of my second family, my my kids, but it yeah. also goes through my original family, and I go back and look at my relationships with my sister, with my brother, with my parents. And so there are those lovely layers, too. Um, because my my parents were so ill-equipped um, and divorced at five and my mom just really fell into alcoholism, I really was the mom in the family from a very young age. And, and my brother, who's younger, was only like six months old when they divorced. Mm-hmm. So when he told me at age 13 that he was gay and I was about 18, I really felt like it was my fault because I'd raised him. And mm-hmm. this is old thinking. This is a long time ago. I mean, we were both in our 50s now, and, and I understand that. But best I could, that's how I felt. I felt uber-responsible for anything that happened, so we'll just put that aside as well. But anyway, yeah. that was how I responded. And I remember quoting Romans 1 to him just as loud as I could, thinking that if he heard the words, surely he'd be fixed kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. He loved God. He loved God then. He had given his life to Jesus but as the, as the years went by, um, I, I realized that I had to figure out what I believed on the subject. And as I studied scripture, I had a hard time figuring out how same-sex relationships worked with the Bible. And mm-hmm. I told him this. And as we matured, we were soulmates. We were best friends for so much of our lives. God finally brought me to the place where he pretty much said, have you revealed your opinion to your brother? And I thought, yeah, I have. 
Mm-hmm. And then God really freed me and said, then it's your job to love him. And yeah. It's my mm-hmm. job to judge him. And, and my brother and I have been best friends, and he's my best friend aside from my husband. Still, we are uber close. Uh, we do mm-hmm. all kinds of things together. And as he's just moved to a, a new city right now, he's church shopping. He adores God. He still loves God. And mm-hmm. I go with him, and I try out the churches and think, I don't know how this all works. But yeah. what I know is that I'm called to love him. And the older I get, the better I get at loving him well. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's just beautiful. Uh can you give us a uh, – I don't know how long ago you finished the manuscript. Um, can you give us a, kind of an update on where your kids are now? And, oh, uh, yeah. That, oh, they're yeah. all perfect. You know, they're just awesome. <laughs> We're done. You know, I mean, they're perfect. I mean, if I had to write the Christmas letter today, it would be – okay. <laughs> what I love to say is that we are still – gooey in the middle, and that means when you open the oven and you take your toothpick and you put it into the muffin and you pull it out, goop comes out. (laughs) We're not done. If we were done, we would be dead. So what I want to say is that we're growing, and and I would say I like a lot better where we are now than where Mm. we were then because Mm. of a couple of things. One is they're doing a little better, honestly, but I'm doing better. I have much different expectations. Um, and the teen years are so challenging, but the young adult years are challenging too. So yeah. just for information, my daughter is married, and uh, she has a, a, her son, who's now nine, and, and listeners will want to know she had her son before she was married, and it was to, she's married to a different person. So yeah, there you go. And and my son is in recovery. Praise God. And he's yeah. an everyday, one day at a time person who yeah, is yeah. discovering in beautiful new ways God's love for him. And um, and is he's going to work and he's living in a sober living home and uh, he's the president. I could put that in a letter. There. And I'm very <laughs> proud of that. But, but we are all learning to love each other um, as we are. So it's a joy to do that. What a beautiful thing. Well, the book is out Great. now, isn't it? The, it's out. It, yeah, it's been out it's for out. a couple of weeks. So. Okay. It's called The Beauty of Broken, My Story and Likely Yours Too. The author is Elisa Morgan. And what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you or to, uh, uh, if they want to invite you to come and speak to their church or organization, what's the best way for them to get to you? Sure. Everything's on my website. It's just elisamorgan.com, and it, my name is E-L-I-S-A, elisamorgan.com. Um, you know, on that website, there is a separate page for the Beauty of Broken. There's a video there, and you can click on that and get there right from the home page. But there also are like book club questions or just discussion questions. And mm. uh, you can order the book and stuff. And it's audio where I'm reading it myself. And there's e-books. And, you know, all the all the bells and whistles. It's it's awesome. And I think there's a contact Alisa to speak form as well. Or, or like me on Facebook, um, just Alisa Morgan, the author page, and we can be in touch that way. But my greatest passion is that – maybe I can say this. Do I have just a few more minutes? Sure. Okay, what, what I want to say is I, I, my heart is just broken for so many of us who carry around shame. And, and my greatest passion is that we understand that God loves broken people so mm-hmm. deeply and that he uses broken people so yeah. incredibly. Yeah. And if we would understand that being broken doesn't disqualify us, for his ministry, but yeah. when we put our brokenness in his hands, it can actually further qualify us. Uh, we, we have something to offer. We don't. So I want to encourage those listening with, with that kind of a concept. Oh, that's wonderful. That's Absolutely wonderful. Elisa, thank you so much. Uh, we're so grateful for you uh, sharing your life and your wisdom and this uh, foundational, central message of the gospel with us and with the rest of the Pirate Monk podcast audience today. Thanks, Elisa. Thanks for having me. Take care, you guys. Okay. We'll be right back in a moment on the Pirate Monk.
Podcast. Give yourself 